Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Welcome to the second Sunday of Easter, where we will learn more about the importance of this event in the history of Christianity and also the world. Now, don't get me wrong, the resurrection is awesome and life-changing. I have a secret to share with you, though. So I'd like you to lean in a little bit because you don't want to miss this. And we'll see how good the Lutherans are. Come on, lean in a little bit. There we go. There we go. We got some movement. So here's the other awesome part of Easter. The way you thought about how God works in the world changes. So let me say that again. I'll say this a little louder so you don't have to lean so close now. Easter is about the resurrection and, and how God works in the midst of this world, how, how God works in this world radically changes. Now, aren't you glad you decided to show up on the Sunday because now you're getting the full message of Easter. You get not just the second part of the series final of Jesus, the mini-series, which was last Sunday, but you get the beginning episode of what we're entitling The God I Never Knew. So let us begin and see what else God has in store for us today. Or as one of my favorite radio hosts used to say, Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. So today's story begins with fear. This might seem like a little odd emotion to have to start with, since last week we were shouting Hosanna, shooting off fireworks, literally, and celebrating with family and friends. So let's pull out your Bibles, or if you have your Bible app, we're going to turn to John chapter 20, which is on page 883. And I want you to look for verse 18. If you're wondering why this sounds familiar, it's because this is the last part of the text from Easter Sunday. So again, that's on 883, uh, John 20, verse 18. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he, and told them that he had said these things to her. So from reading this text, you would think that hope would be sweeping through the disciples. I mean, they just heard that Jesus was alive. Well, you'd be wrong. Let's look at the next verse, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the, home, of the house where the disciples had met were locked for the fear of the Jews. Fear is a very powerful emotion. Just think about what you are afraid of. Think about how it affects you and your very actions. I understand this kind of fear. One memorable case comes to mind when I was about 10 years old and my cousin came over to babysit me because my parents went out on a date. She thought it would be fun to watch a new movie on VHS. Kids, ask your parents what a VHS tape is. The movie she brought over was called Halloween 2. And if you don't know what Halloween 2 is, it's a horror movie. And I have never watched horror movies before. And when the movie was over, I raced to our front door, locked it, chained it. I closed all the windows and locked them. Now, mind you, this is the middle of July, where it's very warm, and we hadn't had air conditioning for quite a while. And after that, I raced upstairs to my bedroom, shut the door, took a chair, put it underneath the doorknob, climbed into my closet, armed with a metal baseball bat, and I refused to come out, even though my cousin pounded on the door until I heard the voices of my mom and dad. Have you had an experience like this before? Where you felt so much fear 
that sort of just took you over. I think we can empathize with the disciples and understand why, even in spite of the good news of Easter, they had locked themselves away. But this is not the whole story. Let's continue in verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus has taken the goodness of Easter and has made it real for his disciples and at the same time has changed the way that God will interact with them and us forever. It might seem a little odd to bring up talk of the Holy Spirit on the day of one of Jesus' biggest triumphs. The hard thing to remember, though, is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus have a very unique relationship called the Trinity. If you have your sermon notes, you can pull them out right now. There are three who's that make up our what of the Trinity. Now, each of the who's, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, are unique in who they are, but they are, in effect, the same being, God. And just to clarify one point about the Trinity, it sounds a little bit male-dominated, but there are several instances in the Old Testament specifically where God and or the Holy Spirit are described using feminine characteristics and gender pronouns. So the Trinity has parts of both genders present, so I don't want people to get hung up on that. Now, when thinking of how the Trinity works, one of my seminary professors put it like this. There are three phases of water, right? Ice, liquid, and what's the last one? Gas. Hopefully nobody, nobody has that this morning. <laughs> Yet no matter what phase water is in, it's still water, right? It just fulfills different purposes. This is the flexibility of the Trinity. There are different aspects of God that we can draw on for different things and circumstances in our lives. And this is what is happening in our text for today. Jesus is unleashing the Holy Spirit again on us. Yes, I said again. One of the things we have learned these last couple of months as we have been in the Gospel of John is that the author of John likes to use stuff that we've all heard about before. So I'll either keep a finger or a piece of paper in John because we're going to keep you doing these, these uh, Bible gymnastics. We've got to wear off that food from Easter. We're gonna go, now we're going to go back and turn to the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. We're going all the way back to page 2. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verse 7. Again, that can be found on page 2. And if you remember, Genesis is about creation, about how God formed the world. And here in chapter 2, verse 7, it reads, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Holy Spirit was with us since the time of creation. So why does Jesus do this again? Why is the author of John bringing this back up? Now, I hope you kept your finger in your Bible. I want you to turn back to John, or, yeah, John chapter 19, 41, found on 882. Now, there was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb 
in which no one had been laid. A garden. Jesus was buried in a garden. You remember where we start off in Genesis? A garden, right? John is trying to have us make the connection between the first creation story and Jesus' resurrection, as well as the events that happen today. It's no coincidence that Mary, in John 20, 15, mistook Jesus for a gardener. When Jesus breaks in on the disciples and gives them the Holy Spirit, it marks a changing point in our faith. You might ask yourself, why did God think it was better to have the Holy Spirit inside of us than to have Jesus next to us? If we remember, as a physical person, Jesus could only be in one place at a time. Now that each of us are infused with the Holy Spirit, we can begin to do God's work on a global scale. And I know for many of us today, I have just said some of the most frightening words that you've ever heard during a church sermon. Yes, God is entrusting me and you to do God's work in the world. And you thought the disciples were the ones who were afraid this morning. Looking back at chapter 20, verse 19, what does Jesus say to his disciples and say to each of us today? Peace be with you. Notice it twice. He says it twice because I think we get so wrapped up in our fears that the first time we hear this peace, we can't believe it. It's like a cool mountain stream appearing in the middle of the Sahara Desert. So what does this peace really mean? This is the last of the, of the biblical gymnastics I'll make you to do today. I want you to turn back a few pages in your Bible to 877. And we're looking at John chapter 14, verse 27. It's a verse that I use a lot during funerals. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. The peace we get from God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is not the peace we are used to getting when we think about peace. It is not peace from work, like an early morning up at the lake cabin before everything comes to life, calm and quiet. The peace that God promises us is a peace that helps us when we are in the midst of the storms of our lives. It's a peace that helps settle us when our lives seem to go topsy-turvy, like when you accidentally recycle your homework an hour before it's due. That really happened. Or learn that a loved one is sick or dying. Or when a coworker is fired or leaves, making you the one in charge. Or the numerous other examples of your daily life that happened just last week. That takes our average day and turns it into a hurricane. This is the peace that engulfed the disciples that day. The peace, and this peace changed them. The fear that they had kept them locked up. The fear that had paralyzed them into inaction. The fear that had controlled every action was obliterated with God's peace. Obliterated! The door was unbolted and flung wide open so that the disciples could go forth into the world to tell other people about this God who freed them and who wanted to free others. And don't you want that freedom? Don't you need that freedom? This is why people should be excited about Easter, not, because, not just because Jesus was raised from the dead, but that the hope is real, that change is possible. Jesus' resurrection has ushered in a new age of creation. 
The Holy Spirit has been given to each of us. And God has been made part of our very being, which means we have the ability to change, to experience new creation in our lives. I think we really need that right now. I mean, if you check our news just from this last week, we get a sense that fear is mounting. We see that in the volatility of our stock market. We see, hear it on possible news of tariffs. We hear this about riots. We hear about wars, the opioid epidemic, and the list goes on and on. And the sense of fear also isn't just with us adults. It's also in our kids. We see it in all the extra bullying that's been happening around, and we see it in that some kids don't feel that they can even stay alive anymore, that they'd rather choose the alternative to life. And this is why this Easter message is so powerful for us today. The Holy Spirit keeps us, helps us to obliterate our fear. And I would even go further and say, besides obliterating our fears, it replaces them with peace. Peace which tells us that this is not the ending but the beginning. Peace which tells us that we are loved, named, and claimed by God. Peace which compels us to go into this world and make a difference in other people's lives. And this is the bold message of Easter and why we celebrate Jesus' resurrection and welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives because it has changed you, it has changed me, and it has changed the world. And that's is the message of Easter. That, my friends, is what we do each and every day after we leave church for one another and for all the people that we meet to show them this hope, to be that hope, and to show them how much God really loves them. And that fear does not rule the day. Hope is here, and hope will win. Amen. <laughs>